Okay, so Matt, what lays at the bottom of the ocean and is always shaking? Mm. Feel like I should know this. You should. It's a nervous wreck. <laughs> <laughs> and welcome to the graveyard thank you for joining us tonight my name is adam and my name's matt now pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is graveyard tales (laughs) all right everybody matt how are you doing tonight brother man i'm good good deal um, so before we get into it and got less housekeeping than we had last week, I know that was a lot, but it was the first show of 2020. So, you know, we got to give you a little bit of housekeeping there. Um, first off again, we'd like to thank Podbelly network, podbelly.com. Um, I know some of y'all have talked to me on Twitter, um, that y'all have checked it out and that it, it has been great for y'all. So keep doing that. Y'all go check out podbelly.com. Um, Not only will it help you if you're looking into recording audio and what you might need to do that, um, but also there's a whole lot of other shows on there that you can go listen to. Hillbilly Horror Stories, Just the Worst Podcast, Lost Boys of Hannibal, and the Sofa King Podcast are all part of it, plus a lot more, and they're growing every day, so go check them out. Um, Another thing is we mentioned that on January 24th, we're going to be doing a live online show for everybody, so... Um, let us know what you think about that. Are you interested? Do you think you might join and talk to us? Um, we'll be able to, after we do our show, we'll be able to take calls from you and we can talk about the episode, any questions that you may have at the time. So if you're, if you sit there and ask questions while listening to us, I know I do that when I listen to podcasts, I'm like, but wait, what about this? Well, then this is your opportunity to do that and ask us right after the episode or even during the episode. So let us know if you're interested in that. Um, all the details will be coming out real quickly, so you'll have time to get in on that. So, Matt, tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so tonight uh, we are going to be looking into some theories on the disappearance of Amelia Earhart and we have some very special guests we uh, had the opportunity to interview uh, Chris Williamson and Jen Taylor from Chasing Earhart great people yeah and uh, and Vanished Amelia Earhart both fantastic shows and I think you will be amazed at the amount of work that they have put into Mm-hmm. This uh, this search and the theories, it is just uh, it's impressive. I mean, that's, oh, yeah. that's all I can say. And uh, they were so gracious to come onto the show and and talk to us a little bit about this. And uh, we think you're really going to enjoy hearing from these guys. Yep, definitely will. Uh, Matt and I really enjoyed talking to them. So let's get into that interview. All right, everybody. So we are here with two 
awesome people, great friends of ours, Chris Williamson and Jennifer Taylor from Chasing Earhart and Vanished podcast. Y'all may know them. If y'all don't, then you need to know them. Um, so we're going to be talking about Amelia Earhart and some other interesting things that they may be digging into now. So guys, if y'all want to take it away, tell us a little bit about yourselves and what you do and your podcast and all that. All right. Well, ladies first, I'll let Jen go. (laughs) Okay. Well, I am a criminal defense attorney. I primarily work in central Texas and I also co-host, as Adam said, I co-host Vanished, and I have another podcast other than Vanished called In Defense of Liberty. So that's what I've got going on. Yeah, and uh, as for me, I'm I'm I've been doing the the whole Earhart thing for this is my fifteenth year now, uh, and studying the Earhart case, and uh, started chasing Earhart about three and a half ish years ago, uh, officially with the Chasing Earhart podcast, and uh, we actually started Vanished season one of Vanished uh, one year ago tonight. So the night that we're recording this, which is January the 5th, which has its its significance. It's the day that Earhart was declared dead in absentia. That's why we kicked off the podcast on that day. And uh, we've been doing Vanished ever since. So this is a big day for everybody then. (laughs) It is. It is. So, And you've turned this into, it, it seems like with 15 years into researching and studying it, it's become basically its own full-time job. Yeah, definitely. The Earhart case is its own full-time thing. It's when you get into it and when you start looking at the case under a microscope a little bit more and you start seeing how robust the case is, it's, I think Jen can tell you this better than anybody at this point, but it's, it's a really, really deep case and it, it has so many branches that go so many different ways. And it's, it's, I kind of liken it to like a choose your own adventure book. It really is one of those type deals. And um, you can go anywhere you want to go. And there's, there's multiple theories on what happened to her and Fred Noonan. And there's sub theories underneath main theories. And it just goes, gets really crazy. So yeah, it's definitely, if you get into this, it's definitely a full-time job. It's definitely a a secondary thing you do. And I've been interested in Amelia Earhart since I heard about her as a kid uh, but, you know, listening to y'all show, there was a lot of stuff that I had no idea about. And I'm sure a lot of other people are the same way. Um, and I know we don't have time in our Graveyard Tales episode to get into everything. Um, but why don't you give us kind of a general synopsis of what happened and what y'all have dug up and uncovered that most people might not know? Well, I mean, what happened really just depends on what you believe. That's sort of what, so what we know for certain is that on July the 2nd, 1937, Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan were somewhere over the Pacific, somewhere near Howland Island, which is a little, maybe, Maybe. (laughs) which is a a little speck. It's like, it's almost like a speck of rice in the middle of the ocean. And they were inbound to Howland Island. There is a ship uh, known as the Itasca that was stationed off Howland Island that was supposed to be guiding them in. And this point in the trip, they were three quarters of the way into the trip. It was a world flight that they were going around the world in. They, had, um, they were going around the world equatorially, so no one had ever done it like that to that point. And essentially what happens is Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan are trying to find the Atasker. They're trying to find Howland Island, which is a very tiny piece of land. And there's miscommunication. 
They're not able to find Howland Island. They're not able to find the Itasca. The Itasca can't communicate with them. There's never really any two-way communication established. And all of a sudden, Amelia Earhart and Fred Noonan sort of vanish into thin air. There's no wreckage. There's no oil slick. There's nothing that would show that they were ever anywhere near that area other than signal strengths that the Itasca was picking up at the time. Back in the day, they were basing all their signal strengths off of radio communication. There was no GPS or anything like that. So the Itasca was pulling what's known as a signal strength five, which means they were under approximately about 200-ish miles away from the Itasca. And they just simply vanished off the face of the earth. And to this day, 82 years later, going on uh, 83 years later, this coming year, no one has ever produced a shred of evidence to support any major theory as to what happened to her. All we know is basically what the Atasca logs, which were sort of what Jen kind of talks about as like the last text messages, if it's a modern day case, mm-hmm. show. And uh, that's about all we have. We have Earhart's voice talking about saying things like, we must be on you, but we cannot see you. Gas is running low and just vanish into thin air. And that's all we've got really at this point. And the, basically the story kind of branches out from there, depending on what you believe they were doing, where they might've been, who they might've been cahoots with, how deep it must go or may not go, just depending on what you're talking about, what you're, what you're looking at. So Chris, what, I mean, I've, I've, I've Google mapped Howland Island. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, you can, you can compare it to Hawaii and be like, okay, how in the world with the navigational tools that she would have had at the time, how in the world would they have found that? Yeah. And much less landed there. Um, you know, it's just, it's amazing to me, but I mean, what w- would they have been able to, to refuel and, and, and do what they need had, had that been their destination? Yeah, it was their destination. Howland was where they were going to land and it was going to be a refueling point. And it was certainly the most challenging leg of the flight. They had gone, as I said, three quarters of the way around the world from there, it was going to be from Howland to Honolulu. So they were going to, they were almost there. That sort of adds really to the tragedy in the whole thing is they were almost home. It wasn't that far away. Right. And it would have certainly been a refueling point. Itasca would have been able to get them back up and running. They were really tapering in on fuel. Fuel itself is a massive, and again, Jen can talk to this, it's a massive aspect of the case. People disagree vehemently on how much gas is running low meant when she said that. So when she said, you know, gas is running low, typically when you're driving down the street or driving down a highway and, and you're looking at, you know, you're looking at... Uh, your fuel and you maybe your gas is running low. You're thinking you're maybe at a quarter tank or maybe a little over a quarter tank. So you need to stop and get some gas. We don't know if gas is running low meant she was, you know, getting there quarter tank, you know, quarter of her fuel left maybe. Yeah. Or it was time was, to start paying attention to it. Right. Exactly. Or, or is this almost like a mayday? Yeah. Right. We don't yeah. know. Yeah, we, we don't. I mean, and people will vehemently disagree with, well, this is how much fuel she took off with from Lay New Guinea. This is how much fuel she had on board. This is how much fuel the Itasca could have actually carried. There's, I'm sorry, not the Itasca, the Electric could have asked, actually carried. There's all kinds of debate. Um, Jen's really gotten into that with a lot of the folks that are arguing varying theories over the course of uh, season one here. So yeah, it's, it's very, very difficult. It's kind of like the difference between when I go get gas and when Ashley goes and gets gas. Like, <laughs> if we're if we're on a road trip, I'm like, okay, at 
just under half a tank, I'm like, okay, we need to start looking for a gas station, figure out where one is, you know, go get gas by a quarter of a tank. And she's like, oh, light came on. Maybe we need to figure out where <laughs> where there's gas. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's how I do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the light's for. Oh, right. I need to get gas. <laughs> right. Definitely. Yeah. That's so we don't know. That's, that's one of the, that's one of the major uh, discrepancies in these theories and what people have been arguing for, you know, over eight decades now. So you said uh, Jen got into that quite a bit with people. Jen, right. have you uh, uncovered anything in your arguments with people? <laughs> well, yes and no, actually, because we have a Facebook group that is full of a lot of pretty intelligent arm, um, armchair detectives. And mm -hmm. some of them in particular have been really helpful for some of our research. And there's, I know that Chris said that there's a lot of disagreement. There's a lot of disagreement, like every single aspect of even just the fuel question as a subset of the mystery as a whole, there's a lot of different points of contention and different ways that you can look at the problem. And one of the big questions that I really kind of gravitated towards from the very beginning of my involvement was how much fuel did she take off with? Because for me, the way I like to approach a problem is, well, what do we know happened? How, like what were all of the starting parameters, right? So I want right. to know how much fuel she took off with. Well, the official documentation always said, what was it? 1150. So like 11 mm -hmm. or 1100 gallons of fuel. Well, then something came out and another theory came out that said, well, actually she left with 950 gallons of fuel. And whenever you take that into consideration and you take into consideration the wind speeds and the direction of the wind and all of that, she would never have made it to Howland Island and she would have known that and she would have turned around and come back. And that's where we should be right. looking. So I said, okay, well, that makes a huge difference, right? Did she have 950 gallons of fuel when she left or did she have 1150 gallons of fuel? And we were able to find like a really obscure newspaper clipping from the 1930s from around six days after her disappearance where some random person had told a reporter that she left with 950 gallons of fuel. And like, that's apparently the origin of that rumor. And then we started digging into it a little bit further and there are different, like a gallon of fuel in US gallons is not the same as a gallon of fuel in whatever it was that they're using in New Guinea. And so I think at the end of the day, it's, it, uncovering that and then trying to like do the conversions on wool. I, so I found out that 915 gallons of fuel in what was it? Um, Imperial gallons. If you convert right. that over to us gallons, you get 1150 pretty close to 1150 us gallons. And so my theory, my theory ah. was somebody told a reporter 915 gallons, not specifying what type it was misheard and printed as 950. And then that's where that rumor got started. That's, that's my theory. That's what I uncovered with that. So I was pretty proud of that. I don't know if I'm right, but <laughs> that's what I think happened. That's a pretty good one though. I mean, I would, I would buy that. Yeah. That, I mean, that's putting a lot of things together that I don't think a, many people would have because you've got to do the conversions and, and my brain would give up after a while trying to convert <laughs> from Imperial gallons into you, you know, I'm like, let's just all use the same thing. It's easier. But like you said, that would make a huge difference in where to look for. Because would it be around Howland or would 
it be on the way back. Right. And then you would, uh, if, you know, if there was a crash in the middle of the ocean, then you would have to take into consideration current and stuff to look for her, which would differ depending on which way she was going. Um, so that, that is a big point uh, to that is how far would she have gotten on her gas? And I, I'm just impressed with the work that you put into the gas. Cause most people would have just, nah, it's gas, you know, we'll call yeah. it 1150, you know, yeah, it's it, but that's and that's one of the things that with with this case uh, in particular, I mean, everything is is really super overanalyzed almost to a fault because there's there's just no there, there's just nothing there. We have nothing, and it's it's one of those cases. And people people will argue this point with me sometimes, but I'm I'm sort of of the same mind of of, of some of the folks out there that think that we we're not really much farther along 82 years later in this investigation than we were on July 3rd, 1937, the day after they disappeared. Like we Mm -hmm. don't have anything. No one's been able to produce anything concrete. So you look at crash and sink, which is sort of the foundational aspect. It's where we started our investigation and our, the trial by jury and kind of, you know, what we do, you know, crash and sink is, is it's got some solid evidence. I think until somebody produces something that's really like earth shattering, uh, that can overthrow that. I think you have to look at that as sort of the foundational, you know, aspect of what happened. It's the official um, explanation of the United States government. When you look at that, it seems like a, an open and shut case, but they've never been able to produce a plane. And this is a place, or this is a, a an aspect of the investigation that, if you look at some of the research, everybody who's anybody has gone out into the ocean. And who's tried, they've tried to search for the plane. Most, most um, recently, Dr. Robert Ballard, who went out and there was a documentary, they made a big deal out of the documentary regarding, you know, searching off of Nicomaroro Island, which is a whole nother theory, but they've searched off of Howland and off of Baker. Nobody's been able to produce anything. Millions, tens of millions of dollars have gone into this search at this point. And no one's been able to produce even an anomaly. Uh, at the bottom of the ocean with, you know, with uh, the ROVs and AUVs and as, as far down as they can search, you're talking about something that's 39 and a half feet long, mm-hmm. 18,000 feet down right? in an area that's roughly the size of Texas. Yeah. So Good luck. it's really, I mean, you know, we've talked to a lot of just brilliant folks and people that are just the, the greatest at what they do. Tom Detweiler is a, a one that comes to, he's the one of the, he's the operations manager on Titanic. He was the one that actually found the Titanic after the, the fourth trip they went down there. And you're looking at a, something that's 800 and what, eight, what's the Titanic? 884 feet long approximately. And they knew where it went down and it, it still took them four trips out there to find it. And you're looking at something that we just have no clue if this thing hit the ocean and it sank right down or did it hit? And because of the fuel tanks inside the Electra, it actually floated and floated for if it floated for half a day it could be god knows where oh yeah anywhere in that area or if so it broke up yeah right yeah it makes that search area just huge massive I mean, so so much larger than what the average person would believe right i mean you know even now i mean you know with with black boxes and everything you know you're 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 still you're like okay we've we've got an area and we know right about where it is, but it, it's still going to take a minute for us to get down there and actually find it. Yeah. And you think about, you know, trying to find a plane 
then, you know, it's, it's even harder, especially, you know, with all of those, fa- all of those variables that you have to take into consideration. Yeah. And they're, they're looking at, uh, you know, they're, they're looking, look, trying to locate this plane, you know, by searching over land and sea by planes and by aircraft carriers. And this is something that was taking place in the middle of the great depression. So they were, cert- they were, you know, they're spending roughly $150,000 a day, you know, 1937 money trying to find her. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's, it's one of those situations where at this point, you know, tens of millions, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, almost a hundred million dollars has been between all the theories have been put in trying to find her and people are just latch onto this case and just will not give up because of who she was and because of who Noonan was and um, just because of how important they both were. So it's, it's a case that just swallows you whole. It's not unlike the, the Lincoln case or the Kennedy case. Or Oak any Island, of people that get cases. obsessed over that. Oak Island. <laughs> exactly. It's, <laughs> it's not unlike that, but this one happens to have a figure at the head of it that was, that is still today considered America's sweetheart to this day. Right. So, right. you know, it's, it's one of those cases. that's just people really want to know. And, yeah. uh, it's, it gets aggressive at times. Well, uh, Kristen, Jen, if you will, um, for our listeners, kind of touch on some of the uh, some of the wildest theories that you guys have uncovered as to what what may have happened or where she might be or uh, you know I know there's a lot um, there that we can't cover, but some maybe some of your favorites are some of the most interesting as to as to the events leading up to the flight, as to you know why she went down because I, I I know I've I've heard a ton. I know Adam has too. Um, yeah, there's no shortage. Um, I will, I will let, I will let Jen go first. Well, the wildest and my favorite, I guess, are going to be two different theories. Um, at the risk of you guys getting tons of emails, um, because what I'm about to say is probably going to make a bunch of people mad. But I think, oh shit, uh, we don't. Care. I think that the. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I'll send them all to Matt. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, because I, I don't read them. <laughs> Great. Um, well, I think that the craziest theory is the Nick Mororo theory because I personally don't think there's any way that that she went to Nick Mororo. I just don't like. I've looked at it. I, I've probably spent more time on that theory than any other theory, and I just don't think there's any way. I just, there's just no way. And people will spend millions of dollars. That's where Robert Ballard went. And, and Robert Ballard didn't find anything. And when you ask everybody that still believes in that theory, well, what about the fact that Robert Ballard didn't find anything? They like, they still won't let it go. Um, and so that's, that's what I guess is the most mind boggling to me about the whole thing is that psychology of no, you're, you're too quick to throw something out the window. We don't have enough evidence yet. And he's like, no, we have mountains of evidence that you're wrong. Can we please right. just move on to something else? Yeah. I can't believe she went there on you guys. <laughs> well, I mean, she's, she's right on it. If you, if you have mountains of evidence that says that's not, there's obviously nothing there. Why keep wasting money on it? You know, I mean, right. it's like any other theory. Why would you, keep wasting time but i mean i guess everybody's got their their heart set on one idea or another everybody's got a white whale in Mm -hmm. situations like this The, the the thing that they just can't let go whether it's their own theory or they've pieced together 
uh, a theory based on other people's. And, and well, I mean, we, Adam and I have seen it in other things, you know, where they, you know, it's like a dog with a bone. They're just not going to let it go, even though the evidence is just hitting them in the face going, you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking in the wrong place. So, <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, I, you know, we've seen, you know, some of the top researchers just, it's like, what's the definition of insanity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, that's, <laughs> yep. that's not the truth. Yeah. Um, so I, I agree with Jennifer in that aspect of it. I mean, I, I have a different look sort of, but I, I've kind of got the same conclusion. I mean, I, they've, so they've searched that Island. Nicomarora was formerly known as Gardner Island for going on 40 years. Now they've gone out 13 expeditions, including this most current one with, with Dr. Ballard who went out there with the Nautilus and they, they, you know, that's a third party. That's not someone that's, you know, um, necessarily believes in that theory or anything like that. And they've pretty much wiped that Island dry. I mean that they have searched in that Island or on that Island for so long and off the shores of that Island. I really feel like at this point, if something was there, they probably would have found it after 40 years, 13 expeditions, millions of dollars, all this incredible press they've had focused on that one spot. I just think it's time now there's, all these other incredible theories and all these other, these other folks that are doing this work in these different areas, they should, you know, start sort of signing, shining the spotlight on those other areas and in allowing those people to sort of go through their theory and exhaust that, you know, that Avenue and that branch of the tree, um, you know, instead of kind of going back to the same well and just beating that same, that same drum. Yeah, it, there's you know? something so, valuable to ruling something out, Right. So like, mm, like that yes. doesn't be me saying this is not me saying that I think it's always been a waste of time because there have been a lot of resources invested into this. And maybe that's part of the psychology behind it is that you've convinced yourself to in order to justify spending all of this money. Mm. But the way I look at it, that's valuable. I mean, that's how criminal investigations work. We rule things out and try to narrow down right. all of the possibilities. But I just feel like we've reached that point now. It's been ruled out. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Look, nobody wants to admit that they're, they're wrong or that, that, you know, they had it wrong. These every, almost every one of these theories they've been investigating for three, four decades. So, I mean, if you're, if you're investigating something for that long and, you know, let's say you're investigating Nicomoro or Japanese capture and tomorrow they pull the plane out of the water and, and off the shores of Howland, it's going to be a bitter pill to swallow for you because you basically, it's not a waste of your life, but you really kind of went in the wrong direction and you were just incorrect in your theory and it's not something that a lot of these people, a lot of these people that are involved in this have really, you know, massive egos and they just really believe they know, like they know, like they know that they're right. And all these other ones are wrong. And there's just so much, this case has so much anger in it. It's got so much bitterness in this case. It really does. It sort of festers and it, it people have just kind of gotten these terrible arguments and it's just gotten really personal and everything over the years. And it's just, it shouldn't be that way. History shouldn't be that way, but it sort of is. And it's, it's, um, it's one of those situations where just everybody wants that. I told you so moment, Hey, we were right all along and you guys were wrong. And, and it's just, you know, it's unfortunate that has sort of trumped, you know, solving the mystery and bringing these two people home and, and sort of finishing their stories on an official level, you know? And so now we're just left with a mystery. We're left with this really hollow, you know, mystery that we have that it just, just gets the the hole gets deeper and deeper and it just doesn't go anywhere. Okay. What, what other, other than, other than the fact that 
the plane crashed. Yeah. Um, what other theories are out there that, you know, the maybe, maybe something else happened. Oh, so, so my, fa- my favorite theory, and I'm probably going to get reamed by Jen over this, is, go ahead. is, is the I know most, where you're about to go. It's the most current. Yeah. It's the most current theory that we did. It was actually the final one that we did. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. And before I get crucified, I will explain to you why I believe it should be, it should be looked at. So I was actually going to ask you about this. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> they know what you're talking this is, about. This is, this yeah. is what. I was going. Yeah, I'm glad it came up in another another way than a direct. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this so th- this is known as the Irene Volum theory, and so this is like the the ten thousand foot view of this theory is is very crazy when you hear it. But essentially, the idea. The Irene Bolam theory sort of runs parallel to Japanese capture. So the idea for Japanese capture is that she was ca- she was captured by the Japanese. She was imprisoned um, in Saipan, uh, in Garapan prison, or somewhere else, depending on where you know what road you walk down. And ultimately, she was either executed there and kicked into a hole into a shallow grave, or she died of dysentery. Okay, so it's again choose your own adventure. So she dies on that island. The Irene Bolam theory suggests that she did not, in fact, die on that island. In fact, she was successfully repatriated back to the United States approximately five to seven years after she was captured. And because she was declared dead in absentia, she could not go back to her normal life. She was, for all intents and purposes, dead. George Putnam, her husband, had remarried. Everybody had moved on. So what they did is in order to get her back with the help of Jackie Cochran, who was a dear friend of hers, who later went on to form the WASP and was very, very instrumental in her own writing, women in aviation and all that good stuff. They repatriated her back and she actually assumed the identity of a woman uh, that lived in New Jersey by the name of Irene Bolum. And this was a woman that actually also had a very interesting and sort of shady past of her own. She was an aviator. She did know Amelia Earhart. At least at one point they had met a couple of times, one or two times. Um, there's even actually a couple of photos, I think, floating around of them together in the photos. And um, she took on this identity and she lived for the rest of her life. And she passed away in 1982, which happens to be the year that I was born. So she she actually lived um, really very similar to one of the other cases that we're going to be getting into here shortly. She actually did not die. She, in fact, lived. And so that is my favorite theory. I think I'm a little biased because I I, I don't want... I'm one of those people that just, I, I wanted a happier ending, if that makes sense. I didn't yeah. want her to die in some shallow grave or, or <laughs> you know, on, get eaten by crabs on an island or crash and drown in the middle of the ocean. This is, you know, this is, this is a way to say, hey, you know, she made it back. She lived out the rest of her life. I mean, for all intents and purposes, she was dead. I mean, Amelia Earhart, the person was dead. And, you know, enter Irene Bolam. That's what we call the, the title of the show of, the, of that particular episode. And so that's my favorite theory, but I've been sort of, standing alone on that theory for a long time. And uh, I've been, I've been taking a lot of heat for that because I feel like that's a theory that people think is so crazy that it just, it doesn't deserve to be investigated. And my point of view is I think that there are so many other theories that have been really just beat to hell on the investigation aspect of it, that we need to start looking at some other stuff. And this is a pretty easy one. I think via DNA and, and some, some digging mean, that you can actually wipe off the table and eliminate if in fact she wasn't her <laughs> or in, if in fact this woman, Irene Bolam, wasn't in the know or wasn't in a very small circle that actually knew Earhart and knew what was happening to Earhart, you can eliminate that pretty easy. 
And so that's kind of what we've been working on with, you know, the, the late, the last, the fifth and final theory episode. So it's, it's a crazy one, but I feel like it's, you know, it's not very much more crazy than Japanese capture. You know, it's a, she lives and B, she dies. That's really kind of how I look at it. And, right. um, I, I certainly don't think that with the people that were involved in it, you know, you had FDR, who was one of the most powerful presidents of all time. Still to this day, you have, um, FDR, um, involved in it. He was close friends with her. Eleanor Roosevelt was close friends with Earhart. Jackie Cochran was very close, dear friends with Earhart. The people involved, when you start looking at that, you start thinking, well, you know, if anybody could have pulled it off, if anybody could have negotiated it and made it happen. If it was accurate, it probably would have been those, that set of people. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of where I stand with it. Jen's going to have her thoughts, I'm sure. But, um, yeah. Well, before Jen gets into that, let me throw something crazier out at you. Um, All right. Here we I, go. <laughs> I just, I put this together while you were talking. Okay. All so right. let's go with the Irene Bolam theory. And then when she passed away was the same year that you were born. And we'll sure. tie this to a graveyard tales episode. Are you Amelia reincarnate? Is that oh, why man. you're so involved in the, the story? <laughs> the answer is an obvious yes. My mind is blown. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that, that's how we tie Amelia to the graveyard here is reincarnation. And Chris is Amelia reincarnate. Well, so, you never yeah. know. You never I'm with know. It. There's there a reason you're so invested in this case. And maybe it's to get your true story out from your past life. See, I'm not yeah. crazy, Jen. I am her. That's what it is. <laughs> so, so we're here with Jen. He didn't say you're not crazy. He said you're Amelia Earhart reincarnated. Those are two different <laughs> statements. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Could be both. Yes. Um, but we're here with Jen and Irene. Right. And <laughs> <laughs> You know, the, here's my thing on that. At the, if you were going to be able to do that and pull it off, that would be the time frame that you could do it because you're you're coming you're coming into a time where that's going to become exponentially more difficult right to to bring somebody back and give them a brand new identity um you know you're right with with the friends that she had uh they would be the ones that could make that happen it, it, you know it would be much more difficult to do that now oh yeah um, definitely but if it were me, it would, I would never be able to pull it off because I, I, I would just be, I'd be sitting in a, in a bar going, I'm going I'm to tell this guy, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to tell him who I am. <laughs> right. You sure. Know? Oh, they'll never believe he was drunk. They won't believe me. I'm drunk, but I got to tell somebody, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey Adam, let's take a minute and talk about HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get mouth-watering seasonal recipes and pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door. America's number one meal kit, HelloFresh makes cooking at home fun, easy, and affordable. You can break out of your dinner rut with HelloFresh's 22-plus seasonal chef-curated recipes each week. There's something for everyone, including low-calorie, vegetarian, and family-friendly recipes every week. HelloFresh has more five-star recipes than any other meal kit, so you know you'll be getting something delicious. 
That's right. And HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and prepping so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in just about 30 minutes. And and some of their recipes, you can even do it in 20 minutes. Now, the average trip to the grocery store takes about 41 minutes. And they've done a time study with the Time Institute that says that takes over 35 hours a year if you only go once a week. And I hate going to the grocery store. I absolutely loathe going to the grocery store. You don't know what kind of people you're going to meet when you go into public. I mean, you just got to go into public, and that's not a good thing most of the time. So if you do HelloFresh, you can avoid going into public, avoid having to do the shopping, and you can save at least 35 hours a year if you just go to HelloFresh. And they've got a cheesy beef tostadas that we tried and really quick really simple to do and if i can do it then anybody can do it and they were great i mean great recipe and if you love tostadas you're gonna love this recipe so HelloFresh is now starting at five dollars and 66 cents per serving that's not much that's less than you spend if you go to a sit-down restaurant you're going five dollars and 66 cents per serving and like matt said they are are america's number one meal kit now, our listeners can go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard10 and use the code Graveyard10, that's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D and the number 10 during HelloFresh's New Year's sale for 10 free meals, including free shipping. Again, all you've got to do is go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard10 and use the promo code Graveyard10, G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-10, and you get 10 free meals, including free shipping. Yeah, I no, you're right. Cover. <laughs> you're right. You're absolutely right. And that's a lot of people. Well, and interestingly, that's one of the points I think against this theory, because sure. if you're trying to lay low, you aren't going to be living a very public life, which Irene Bolin famously did. She was a very public person. And that's how the whole conspiracy got started is somebody met her at an event for pilots and she was hanging out with all of Amelia Earhart's old associates. And the guy thought that they looked similar. And thus the theory was born. And a very common response to that is if, if she was trying to distance herself from that old life, why is she at an event for pilots with Amelia Earhart's old associates? Because she was her. That's why. See? <laughs> That's if why. you were See? Amelia and used to the publicity and the fame and stuff, it might be difficult to fully remove yourself from it. So you might think, well, I can kind of sneak in and nobody will really know because I'm supposed to be dead. So, you know, maybe yeah. I can get away with it. Well, I mean, that was, that was, I mean, and Irene it was very cryptic as she was, she, so she would publicly denounce that she was Earhart very famously. If you've ever watched the, uh, the in search of with Leonard Nimoy and you can, you can, I think you can YouTube the entirety of, of the whole episode of, of the Earhart piece, she she holds the she holds the book that came out. The uh, Amelia Earhart lives upside down, reverse crucifixion style. Stomps on it in, in this meeting, and you know, just this real public display of just hatred for this idea that she was her. But she was very cryptic privately. For instance, well, I'll give I'll give you a quick concrete example. So one of the things that we just came in contact with 
prior to the Irene Bolan piece and, and it was a bunch of audio tapes and there's a gentleman by the name of Bob Myers who was um, really close friends with Amelia Earhart when he was a kid. So he was like 15 years old when he actually met Earhart and she sort of, sort of took a liking to him. And he was so close to her that he actually helped Paul Mance, who was her technical advisor, load all the batteries and the equipment and everything onto the Electra before the world flight. Okay, so he was, he would have been sort of in the know if anything was going on. Like he would have heard something. He would have overheard things. Earhart and him talked about a lot of private stuff. She just sort of took a liking to him. Well, after she disappears, he, you know, obviously goes on this mission. He wants to try to find out what happened to his friend because he really cared a lot about Amelia and thought she was a great person. And they had struck up this really great friendship. Well, what's really interesting about that is when, when Bolum surfaces and before she blows up and becomes the subject of the Earhart case, Bob Myers gets a, a letter in the mail from, from this person, this woman who happens to be Irene Bolum. So this woman who wasn't quote unquote Earhart contacted Bob Myers, who was really close friends with Earhart out of the blue you know, after she disappeared, supposedly years after she would have come back. So if she's taken back, they don't know the exact year, but they say five to seven years after 1937. So you're looking at what, 1942, 1944, something like that. She comes back and she actually contacts this guy, this who's a little bit older now, obviously this kid, this young kid with this letter and re reestablishes a friendship with him. Who, you know, that, that stuff like that really kind of blows my mind because how would she have done that? Why would she have done that? this is someone that wasn't a public friendship or anything like that. So this woman contacted this kid and they struck up a friendship again and it just came out of the blue. And that could only happen in my eyes if she previously knew him somehow. And so we have, you have a couple of dozen little pieces of like juicy information like that, that just add up uh, a lot of the Zonta, a lot of the people that are heart knew uh, before she disappeared knew that she was Bolum, that Bolum and her were one and the same because she would say little cryptic things. They would ask her about her, you know, about flying and things. And she would say, no, that was another life. Things like that. Just really weird things that just don't add up. So maybe I took it hook, line and sinker. Maybe I'm just kind of one of those people that falls for that kind of stuff. And maybe I just want to believe that she survived and lived out her life. But I think all that stuff adds up to something weird. And uh, I definitely want to investigate it. So that's kind of where I stand on it. Yeah, there are a lot of weird coincidences in that that line. If you go down that line, a um, lot of stuff that seems to be more than just a coincidence. Yeah. Um, and it, once you have so many coincidences, it kind of isn't coincidence anymore. Yeah. Well, if true, right? Yeah, if true. that's all if true, true, then sure. that is a lot of weird coincidences. I think the problem with this theory for me is that most of what he just told you is, well, he said this and she said this, and I heard this, who heard that from this person. And it's all very wispy and, and rumor. And, and I've had a really hard time like locking down, like, okay, it, can we actually verify that any of that happened? Listen, yeah, so that's kind of. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but she's right. She's, she's absolutely right. And, and that's, and that's, I think uh, that's one of the things that she's been kind of, I don't want to say frustrated with, but just, you know, as someone that's kind of come in, you know, kind of not knowing about the case previously, she's, you know, her, her, her position is to sort of poke holes in, in everything I'm saying and doing, right, which yeah. she's, she's also a, a lawyer. Job. So 
Right. You know, that, that <laughs> helps with the needing facts and poking holes and stuff. I wouldn't want to yeah. argue with her. I'll tell you that. <laughs> well, that's an interesting statement in and of itself because yeah, there's a lot of behind the scenes drama. I wouldn't want to be crossed by her either. And uh, we've had a lot of people that uh, when they find that statement or, you know, when they find that out, suddenly they'd stop returning our emails. Yeah, right. You know, which is interesting because they, you know, people don't want to look bad. And I, I get it. I understand that. But yeah, that's kind of where we're at with this whole thing. So you were talking about Japanese capture and stuff. And I don't think we touched on... Um, there's a, a theory that I've always found interesting. The reason that she was flying over certain areas, um, yeah. that she was spying for FDR and yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's essentially it. I mean, that was, that was the whole idea is that they needed to get, you know, they, they, so the U S needed to get, sort of a better understanding of the materialization of what was in the Marshall Islands at the time. You know, um, they didn't really, it was kind of like a question mark. They didn't really have a whole lot of, of knowledge on that area. And I think, I think the U S and this is speculation I and mean, a lot of people believe this, but I think, you know, we sort of knew that we we're going to go to war with Japan. I think it was just a matter of when, and I think FDR mm -hmm. people in the pre and close to the president, people in the white house probably knew that. And they didn't have a good, uh, you know, like uh, they didn't have a good reason for, for getting over there for any reason uh, that was, that would make sense. And uh, they had this world flight that this celebrity who was, when she disappeared, she was probably the most famous person even on the planet. So it's one of those situations where it's like they needed a reason to get over there and they sort of created one because they knew that she had the ability to fly around the world she had the state of the art aircraft and they were going to be flying, you know, in and around that area. And they asked her to do a favor and she was close with Eleanor really close. She was close with FDR. So she essentially did a favor, but even that is argued back and forth. Did she willingly do it? Sure. You know, was she doing it for, you know, reasons other than what anyone's ever explained, you know, things like that. So yeah, the idea was that we need to get over there. We need to take some images and no one will ever challenge you because you're the world famous Amelia Earhart. You're on your, your world flight and you can do what we as the U.S. government so the idea was at this moment. In time. Well, if you're going anyway, just, just do this. Right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> just hang a left and snap a few photos. Fly over yeah. Some yeah. Super dangerous territory and snap a few illegal pictures. Right. Yeah, I mean, and you're, all, you're already going to be there. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly right. Yeah, that's it. I mean, that's really it in a nutshell and um, just didn't work out, obviously. And it was a very terrible, that's, you know, none of these, none of these outcomes are pleasant for her and Noonan, but that one specifically is, is terrible. If you, um, if you get into it and you start thinking about what might've happened to them and what might've happened to her ultimately and him ultimately, it's, it's pretty God awful. And that's, um, you know, that's not out of the realm of possibility for the U.S. government because we know it, it's not a secret that they have used high, you know, I, I guess stars of the day um, to carry out spy missions for them or bring something back from a country that they shouldn't be bringing it back from and stuff like that. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's like you said, not a good one to think about. Um, yeah, not at all. It's, it's pretty awful. Uh, when you, when you, you know, she's 
either dying alone in a jail cell, uh, dying of dysentery, which is, uh, you know, is not pleasant, uh, or she's getting executed and kicked into a shallow grave. There's even been reports of her getting her head cut off. There's, it's really terrible. Um, and it's, it's a lot of the people, and I, I absolutely agree with this hundred percent. If, if that is determined to be what happened, I really believe a lot of the people that are working the Japanese capture theory believe that her and Noonan should be recognized as the first casualties of world war two, because they, if they yeah. were in fact spying for the U S or even doing a favor, doing something very minor or whatever the case is, and they died for their country and they didn't give up whatever they were being asked to give up, they should absolutely be commended and absolutely be recognized as, as um, not only prisoners of war, but uh, casualties of world war two. And they should be recognized as heroes further than what they've already been recognized as. Yeah. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. And, and on that, just, just briefly, Chris, talk a little bit about the, the idea that there was actually a rescue mission yeah that that took place that where i i would believe a lot of people think well there's even more evidence that you know they the, the US government tried to go get her yeah so that's that's a that's an interesting one and uh, i'm not as as deep in the knowledge on that one i i did talk to guy nofsinger who is the guy when it comes to that and uh he's actually working with a team of people um, that are actually investigating that right now. So there was a, there's another plane. If you Google it, it's called the lost clipper and it's a, a plane that has also vanished into thin air. There's no, you know, there's no wreckage. There's no anything of that plane either, but what they, what they've determined and they've actually worked with the guys um, at Narcos and, and, you know, we'll get into that just a few seconds, but what they're, what that team has determined was that the lost clipper when it disappeared was not on any standard ops operation type deal. It was actually on a secret rescue mission to rescue and retrieve Amelia Earhart. So the idea was that, and this kind of ties in with the Bolum thing, although it's a a different branch that she was going to be successfully repatriated back to the U S she was actually the subject of a negotiation between the United States and Japan. And that the United States sent this crew over um, on this on this aircraft, the lost clipper. And they actually had $3 million on board. And that was what they were actually going to pay. It was a ransom. They were essentially paying for Amelia Earhart's life. And that plane disappeared, just vanished into thin air, uh, just like Earhart's Electra. So that is one of the most, that's the most current, actually the final theory that we kind of touched on with chasing Earhart and its final theory run was this, this incredible story that's right out of a movie with these, these guys that went to go get Amelia and they just, they weren't successful and they disappeared as well. They sort of suffered the same fate just in a different, different aspect, I guess. But uh, yeah, that's a crazy theory. And if that's proven to be true, that is something that is better than any movie you could write. And what I loved about that is they actually talked to um, the, the guys from Narcos who uh, of course we've seen the Netflix show, you know who they are. Um, they actually utilized those two guys to uh, question all of the people that were involved, potentially like the, the, uh, the sibling, not sorry, the siblings, the children of the people that were involved and the people that were in the know. Um, they looked over all the paperwork. They questioned all the people that were talking about it, the families of the people that disappeared. And those guys actually determined that the people that they yeah. spoke with were not lying, that they were being very truthful. Um, these are, these are guys that can obviously tell when someone's lying. That's what they do for a living. That's all they do. Um, you know, and so, so those, 
those children, they, they believe that their, their parents yes. were involved in this mission for AE. Yes. Um, and that's, that's what they assume that it was. When they interviewed one of the children of one of the crew members of the Lost Clipper, he had mentioned that his father had said at one point, if I die or if I go missing or something happens to me, I want you to tell the world that I was looking for Amelia Earhart. That, that's, why we were, that's what we were doing. That's what this mission was all about. So there's, there's things that sort of, you know, just make really interesting, again, coincidences, coincidences possibly, or it could just be a really great story, or it could be one of those situations where, hey, these people mm-hmm. were telling the truth and they were actually going for Earhart. And it just didn't work out. And uh, we still don't know what happened to the Lost Clipper. So those guys are basically utilizing the Clipper to get to Earhart. So they feel if they can find the Clipper, if they can find out what happened to that crew and what happened with that mission, then they will then unlock, you know, the 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 the, um, the mystery of Earhart. So it's almost like yeah. a smaller fish to catch a bigger fish kind of aspect. But they look well, at it course. as the Clipper is, of course, just as important. And I agree. It's so fascinating to me because like you see this so much people that have really burdensome secrets that they just can't keep. And you see this so often, like you see this in UFO stories and like pretty much any kind of spooky, any kind of topic. Eventually you will see that over and over again. People that are in the know, they know things, they've been threatened with their lives or for whatever reason they have to keep a secret but they never do. There's always someone that they tell. I just, I like, like just psychologically, I love that aspect of these stories. It just keeps coming back up. Me too. It's like sharing the weight with somebody. You can't, you know, you can't carry that around yourself for, I don't know, you know, 30, 40 years or whatever until you die. You, you feel like some of the weight has been lifted if you share it with at least one person or you're like Matt and just have to (laughs) tell everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe that's the idea. You know, that's kind of, that's kind of, that's, that's some of the people think, Oh, no one will ever believe this guy. Cause he's, mm-hmm. you know, these, these guys crazy or they're, you know, they're whatever. And so that's kind of the, the secret safe with the craziest person in the room. Right. Exactly. And, and uh, you know, this, this case, you know, we could obviously go on and on and on. And we have, I mean, her, you, you know, it's funny, Jen and I will talk we, when we're doing the podcast, and I kind of roped her into this part. This, I feel so bad for her sometimes because I feel like I roped her into this thing. I said, you know, she was really, so Jenna's really the one that kind of breathed life into this idea for vanished the trial by jury aspect. I had this idea a long time ago and I thought, Hey, you know, if I could, if, if we could make this happen, I wouldn't want to get someone that really is a, a, an attorney involved. So we could find out, you know, stay as close to the rules of law as we can, the rules of evidence and all this stuff. And she's really educated me a lot on that, but it's, it's one of those aspects that like, I always felt really bad for her because we would go into these shows and she would, she would cross examine these people. And I, I kid you not, her, her interviews were like two and a half hours long alone and we'd keep it. And we'd have some like the Nicomaroro theory for one, like we did two parts. It was over eight and a half wow. hours long, I think, or something between both parts. So, you know, your average documentary is a couple hours long and we're doing eight and a half hours on one theory out of five that we decided to present. And it's just, it's just insane. And it, but that's, you know, and we could go longer. I mean, there's, there's a lot more to it than just that, but I think we try to do the best we can to sort of do the deepest dive possible. And I remember, well, if your witnesses weren't so contentious, it would not have taken two and a half. <laughs> well, that's true. And I think if you listen to it, you'll see that she gets into it with certain people and, and she, she really does kind of 
you know, make you question whether or not these people are kind of just drinking the Kool-Aid or they're actually, you know, giving you hardcore evidence. And like I said, there's a lot of people that once they found out they were going to be cross-examined and we weren't just going to sort of buy their story, uh, you know, we never heard back from them again. And it's pretty sad because we, there were a handful of people that we really wanted to have on the show be cross-examined by Jen that she never got the opportunity to. But I, th- I think that's a credit to her. And I think that's a credit to the process that yeah, we put forward sure. is, you know, it's like, Hey, it's, if, if you feel like you're telling the truth and I'm, I'm not saying all these people are, these people are outright lying, but if you feel like your, your theory holds water and it holds up to you know, severe questioning, you should have no problem you know, coming on the show and being questioned. But if you feel like you don't, because these people are not just saying I have a theory and this is the evidence that backs it up. Like they're, you know, they'll get on the phone with us or in emails with us and they will say, not only am I right, but it's a complete waste of time to even talk to these other people. Like they will, I mean, they'll just be completely degrading and mean. And it's like, this is the answer. And and if you, if you don't believe me, then you're one of those crazy science deniers because like I've proved it, but then it's like, okay, great. Come on the show, answer the hard questions, prove it to us. And Mm -hmm. vanished. Vanished. Yeah. (laughs) It's like the show. Yeah. No, that's, it's exactly right. It's exactly right. We've, we've had some interesting behind the scenes conversations with our guests and we, and, and you know, to, to make it fair, we've had a lot of guests that are very transparent and come on the show and just like, Hey, you know, this is kind of what I believe. This is why we feel this way. Here's all the evidence we feel, you know, supports our theory. And, you know, Jen's been able to sort of stymie a few people on the show, which is pretty exciting because we do it. You know, if we try to make it sound like you're actually in a courtroom and it's actually like a legit trial. So it really feels like, Oh man, she stopped him in his, in their tracks. Um, something like that. So it's, it's, but there are a lot of people that have opened themselves up to the process. And I think those are the types of people and those are the types of theories that I think will, will test the best, even if they test negatively. You know I mean? It's, it's, that's sort of how the process works. You test your theory. If you're wrong, you're wrong. If you're right, you're right. And I think that's what is so cool to me about what y'all do is because if you look at just a documentary, documentary, like y'all were saying, it's, you get basically one side mm-hmm. or you, you may get two sides of it, but there's nobody questioning the information that's being given. It's just, here's what it is. Here's the theory and here's another theory. And then they just kind of spout it out for an hour or so and you listen to it and then you're done. But the ability to question and, you know, dig deeper and see if you can, catch them in a lie or something like that, or, or something that they believed was true. Not saying that these people are intentionally lying, right? um, but that they feel that they are absolutely right. And then you're able to stop them and they go, Oh wait, crap. Maybe I'm not, you know, that is to me, what's so cool about what y'all do is, is you get that interaction and you can see the full process of finding the information. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, that's really, that's, that's a credit to, that's really a credit to Jen, to be honest with you. Um, she's, she's been amazing on the show and she's without her to make this crazy idea that I had to bring this 82 year old case into modern day trial, you know, to see kind of how would that work? You know, we wouldn't have been able to, 
I think, I think we're pretty successful at making it happen. It's very, it's a very long winded show. It's a very deep dive, but, and I think the format's going to change. We've talked about that a lot as far as like how long the shows are going to go. But I think this, Mm -hmm. this case was just, I was, I was already in it when I sort of roped her into it. And then we just had to kind of, we had to let it play itself out. And then, right. We had like a schedule and we had to get episodes out and we didn't really have a lot of time to fine tune what the rules were going to be. And we're working on that though. Yeah. Yeah. Season two will be a lot more fine tuned and it'll be a lot more streamlined, I think. And uh, as we get into some of these other cases, I think it'll be um, a lot easier for us to, to work on Earhart's, you know, Earhart was the the sort of the granddaddy of them all, to be honest with you. It's like the biggest mystery case ever in my opinion. So, right. Yeah. That's because you're Irene. So right, see? Right. sure. Right. So yeah. Since Irene, let's talk about uh <laughs> <since> <laughs> I, love, I love it. I love it. <laughs> uh you were mentioning the next season. Um, can you give us some little teasers here about what else you guys will be looking into and what we get to look forward to hearing about? Yeah, sure. So we're we're tossing around a few different a few different ideas. We do have season two locked down. Um, and it's, you know, it's funny that by the time this comes out tonight, we're, we're putting out the last two pieces of vanished Amelia Earhart, which is, again, it was never meant to go on beyond one season, but now season one is going to be kind of finalizing tonight. So, yeah, so we, we recorded a teaser um, that it's, it's like, so the way, way I treat the show, like I, I got, I really love adding theatricality into the show. So we recorded a teaser that's kind of like an after credit sequence, like a lot of the common movies you see now. Um, mm-hmm. So after the music phase, you know, we have this thing and we've, we sort of announced that I, I recently found a, a file that, well, I recently re- found out actually that John Wilkes Booth is the subject of an FBI file now currently hmm. which is surprising because, you know, as I told Jen, like the FBI didn't come into existence until what's five, six decades after Booth shot Lincoln. So in 2020, what could possibly be in a file that's, that's compiled on Booth, you know? So I, you know, so I started kind of researching Booth and I talked to a gentleman by the name of Nate um, or uh, his name is Nate Orlerek. And he's been sort of researching since he was like 15 years old. um, The idea that John Wilkes Booth did not die um, that night in 1865, 12 days after he shot Lincoln uh, in that tobacco farm, he actually staged his own death and actually vanished into thin air and left, you know, basically led 40 more years of his life out and passed away eventually, you know, 40 years later. So we've officially announced, and by the time this drops, it'll be out there via the teaser, is that season two will be about John Wilkes Booth and uh, the assassination of Abraham Lincoln and everything that happened after he fired the bullet. Uh, and the 12 days going uh, forward from there and then everything that's happened since then. And so we're going to basically put the John Wilkes Booth investigation, the idea that he vanished, we're going to put that on trial and uh, we're going to talk about John Wilkes Booth. And it's, that's it's great. All, all back to 1865, which is, it's, I just, it's a case I've always loved. And so that is season two that is cemented and I, I can, I'll let Jen talk about that rest, but I think we've been talking about a lot of different ideas and possibilities that fascinate us. Uh, we're really excited about it. And I think because I am so close, I'm going to take a personal trip to Granbury to try to see what I can dig up in person. And I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's, that's season two. And uh, we're tossing around ideas. We both love, you know, Jen's a 
big advocate for certain cases. I am as well. So we sort of go back and forth on, you know, we've, we've talked about um, most recently we talked about Jack the Ripper, which I, I'm very ignorant about. I didn't, I thought, Oh, I am obsessed with Jack the Ripper. Yeah. (laughs) I I thought Jack the Ripper was open and shut. Oh Um, no. But it's, oh, no, 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 it's no. not, but it just shows, it shows your ignorance on a case that you don't know about. So, yeah, uh, and Matt and I have actually discussed, uh, possibly a graveyard tales episode on Jack the Ripper, because yeah. I recently found some articles and stuff that go into more of the theories and it kind of blew my mind. And I was like, well, I think we need to look into this more. Obviously, yeah. it won't be quite as detailed as what you guys do, because um, Matt and I are just a couple of idiots in front of a microphone. <laughs> um, right. But and we love rabbit holes. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, you will love the Jack the Ripper case then. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear it's 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 a crazy one. And I, I remember telling Jen because we, we did the Halloween, which, you know, Adam, you helped out with, which was awesome. The Sleepy Hollow Halloween. And yeah, and uh, we did that. And, and I up till just a couple of days ago, I, I thought we couldn't we wouldn't have enough to even encapsulate a two episode arc for a Halloween for Jack the Ripper. And, and Jen corrected me and said, no, there's it's a huge case. So lots of suspects, lots of ideas and options. So we're tossing that around and um that's that something would be we, fun yeah that's something yeah. we might we might that. do henry avery is one of my favorites um that's a big one that's not really well known he was probably like the um probably most famous or richest and most most wealthiest pirate ever oh wow and um what's what i love about the henry avery case is it's sort of not on it's like the Earhart case in a way because everybody's looking for not only Earhart and noonan but they're looking for the electra they're looking for the plane as well mm-hmm. well henry avery had on the time he disappeared on him, what's equivalent to about $400 million in today's currency of, of treasure Ooh. on him. So not only is him, did Henry Avery vanish, but $400 million of treasure vanished as well. So you have this really exciting case that takes you all the way back to the days of, you know, of pirates, basically, we can go all the way back to that, which is hundreds and hundreds of years ago and talk about this incredible, very terrible guy, but an incredible guy, you know, in his own right, I guess. And, uh, and we can talk about that. So we're, we're tossing that idea around. Um, there's just, there's a whole lot of them that there's really the sky's the limit. There's nowhere you can, you can kind of, you can never run out of ideas, you know, to talk about stuff like this. Yeah. Well, and we've also thrown around the idea of not just limiting it to people. I've, you know, we talked about doing uh, like the Holy Grail and the Spirit of Destiny. Oh, we talked yeah. about, um, <laughs> and I know that there's not every case is going to have enough material for a, you know, an eight to 10 episode deep dive. And so we've even thrown around the possibility of doing, well, maybe in between seasons, we can do some one shots. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite cases is, what is it called? Uh, the USS Cyclops mm-hmm. that disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah. So I think that's a really, really cool one that maybe we'll do one day. Yeah. Yeah. There's the CSS David. We're talking about that as another one that's kind of very mm-hmm. similar to that's a really crazy one. And that's, that's right there in South Carolina. It's in the United States. It's under a current, a current, um, you know, suburb area of South Carolina. They're saying that's where it's actually buried. Uh, they just basically covered over it and cemented over it. And uh, so like, there's well, a lot if of you crazy need help one. digging. Give me a call. Uh, Matt and I'll <laughs> go out to, South Carolina and dig with you. Hell yeah. Yes. Actually, I, that, I got that on recording. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, no going back good, now. Yeah. <laughs> good, luck, good luck getting Adam to get to South Carolina and dig. Yeah. He, he's, he keeps, 
He keeps moving westward. So. <laughs> yeah, that may be too far if east. Got, if you got something in Texas, all that. Oh, there, God knows <laughs> there's a lot in Texas. There. There's a lot in Texas. Yeah. About, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been a blast. It's been a lot of fun. And um, I never intended it to get to this point. I, I thought it was just going to be a, a limited series on Earhart. And, um, you know, here we are. It's It's 16 episodes later after tonight. And it's, it's, uh, you know, it just keeps going and it's pretty incredible. And that's really a credit to her really, to be honest with you. Isn't it funny how that happens? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You start this little thing and then, you know, two, two, three years later, you're like, Whoa, what, Mm -hmm. (laughs) what happened? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I think, um, my, my wife's probably about ready. And I told her, I remember just talking to her earlier today and saying, this is the last two episodes we're going to put out on Earhart ever. And she was just like, wow, that's pretty you know, that's a pretty big moment. And it's like, yeah, it really is. Cause we never, the original chasing Earhart podcast, we put out 80 episodes on one case on one person um, yeah. and one, one life. And it's, it's, um, I don't know if there's ever been a show that's ever done 80 episodes on one person or one case. I can't think of another podcaster who relocated his entire family for a podcast. That's impressive. It's impressive that your wife followed you voluntarily. That's the impressive part. I'm the crazy part. She's the impressive part. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. A hundred percent. Yeah. We, we went, we went full tilt into this thing and um, it's sort of bittersweet. Tonight is a bittersweet night for me. So it's, it's um, this is it, you know, tonight we released the last two and, and I walk away potentially forever. So I'm, I, I feel good with the with the decision, and uh, I feel good with with the future of what Vanish is going to do, and and I'm I'm so you know blessed and grateful to have Jen with me, and and um, you know she was only ever going to do one one episode of the show, she was going to guest on one episode, and uh, people loved her, so she came back, and now she's the co-host. So it's it is pretty crazy how stuff works out, how things kind of walk a certain way. Yeah, and I know as a a fan of Chasing Earhart and everything that y'all do, it is kind of a um, a sad day to see yeah. the end of it, but something tells me there'll be something that comes up that'll bring y'all back into the fray. Um, <laughs> that will yeah. will start that up again. Uh, maybe not this year, but there'll be something that is uncovered that you just can't let go. Um, yeah. and you'll have to get back on. So I don't see it as an end. I see it as a pause for you guys. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see, uh, I see, you know, a couple of years down the line, Chris's wife seeing a uh, a Google story on something new about <laughs> Earhart and going, oh, here we go again. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah keep me off the internet if that's going to be the case. Cause I'll, She's I'll deleting see search history and stuff just so he doesn't find it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. That's probably what's going to happen. No, you guys are, that's, that's an excellent point. Yeah, it's very possible that, you know, I feel that the, the, the case is in great hands. You have, I'm very optimistic of what could potentially happen in the next year. You have several, several active investigations going on for this case. So I think someone's going to crack it. Maybe multiple people, maybe it's a cross theory thing. That's certainly possible. There's, there's a lot of things going on. A lot of wonderful people that are working the case much smarter than I'll ever be. And I think it's in great hands. And I think, um, you know, I'm just a fan. I just, I hope somebody ends this. I don't care who it is, as long as it gets ended and they, you know, I think they belong to history now, her and Noonan. And um, so they belong to all of us. And I, I believe it, it should get solved and hopefully it will get solved. Yeah. And I, I think it will. Um, it may not, it may not be anytime soon, but I think there's enough people invested in it that have the resources and the money yeah. that it, it, it will be, 
resolved and, and we'll have a conclusion. Um, and I'm still sticking to my guns that, um, it was Irene Bolum and you're reincarnate. And if we can prove <laughs> that, um, if we can prove that, then we're going to do a graveyard tales episode on another reincarnation episode and just interview you about your past life regression and stuff like that. So well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to come back and talk about my past life and everything that happened. And, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Chris, you've been holding out on me. Yep. I've known yeah. all along. Season three is <laughs> <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah. Well, guys, we appreciate y'all coming on the show and talking about everything. It's fascinating to Matt and I, and we, um, when we got to talking to y'all about coming on the show, it was like, yes, we've got to do it. We got to have y'all on. Um, y- you know, it, it's been, it, it's been too long coming. I think getting y'all on the show. Yeah. I, I, we're honored. We were just, Jen and I were just talking the other day about how, how much of a fan fans we are of what you guys have done and with, with graveyard and, and just, you know, it's a, it's a phenomenal show and the way you guys approach it. And, you know, um, you know, you guys have a really great balance and you guys work well together and it's, it's, it's a partnership that you can kind of really admire. And and that's what people like us strive to be, you know, um, as good as what you guys, you know, as as good as you guys are and what you guys do. So it's been an absolute honor and yeah, I agree a long time coming and and I'm, I'm glad we're able to finally do it. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for having us on. We're so excited. Well, thank you guys. Uh, we, we do, uh, we do appreciate it. So absolutely. Yeah, and we will definitely do it again. Um, so until the next time we do it again, uh, we will see you guys. And uh, Chris and Jen, we'll be talking on Twitter and stuff like that. I know it. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So thank you so much to Chris Williamson and Jen Taylor, hosts of Chasing Earhart podcast and Vanished Amelia Earhart podcast. Go check those shows out. If you haven't already, and don't forget while you're checking those shows out to stop by our website, it's graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, you can listen to the show. Uh, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. Uh, and you, you can become a patron. And thank you so much to everyone uh, who has donated to the show. Yes, uh, check us out you. on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and the Twitter. And Adam is the chief tweeter around here. Uh, you I'm just have to hole. search search Graveyard Tales, and uh, that's the way you'll find us. So uh, go and rate and review us on iTunes. It's the easiest way for us to get more people into the graveyard. Uh, thanks again to, to Chris and Jen. And until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. Yeah.